Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome into All Ball, the All Basketball Podcast here on the Herd Podcast Network. I'm Doug Gottlieb, your host. We got a great, great pod for you. One to which we uh, had to pull a left turn and decided let's go as live as possible. Last night, Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals gave us yet another surprise. Houston was a one-point dog heading into the game. Of course, that was on news that Andre Iguodala would not play, and the game didn't disappoint. Uh, Houston ends up going from down one, entering the fourth quarter, to winning by four points. Uh, there's a ton to get into, so let's just dig in before we bring in some of our guests. Uh, look, I, I think Golden State has been severely limited by uh, by the loss of Iguodala the past two games. And while Iguodala is not a good three-point shooter at this point in his career, the fact that he is a facilitator, that he can guard multiple people, and more than anything, if you, you watched last night's game, how many times did they pick on Jordan Bell? How many times did they pick on Kayvon Looney? How many times did they pick on Quinn Cook? How many times... Did they did they pick on you know even Sean Livingston who's who like Andre Godala is not a shooter he's a mid range guy but like 
and and we do this with with Livingston as well, with Igodala as well. They're not what they were two or three years ago, which was kind of my fear when they signed the long term deals a couple years ago. But you know, people continue to point out uh, the limitations of Kevin Durant. That's fair. The limitations of Steph Curry, fair. The limitations of Clay Thompson, also fair. Uh, but when you're missing the, the one of the pieces that helps it all come together, you start to understand and. Houston did nothing more than pick on the weak link, and it wasn't as much Steph Curry. He actually did a pretty good job defensively. Uh, yes, Chris Paul hit some sh- hit some unbelievable shots, but um, it's funny. Like Chris Paul getting a ton of credit today for how clutch he was. He was six of nineteen from the floor. <laughs> you know, he hit two atrocious shots that happened to go in. Those are atrocious shots, but they go in, and you become a hero. Um, James Harden was five of twenty-one. The defense. All around for the Warriors was, in fact, good enough. The rebounding was hurt um, at times. Houston had eight offensive boards. Um, and, you know, they continued to struggle with Houston's physicality defensively. And, look, here, here's this is a big thing. And this is – it's the same in the Super Bowl where they don't call penalties on the defensive backfield. You know, a lot of times there's not pass interference. It's, it's baseball changes when it becomes so much about – um, having two starters and then, you know, being able to have a great bullpen, you know, pitching defense, timely hitting more so than depth of rotation or depth of hitting like you'll have in the regular season. In the NBA, you know, what is a, a, a league in which there's freedom of movement and it's fairly tightly officiated now all of a sudden becomes just a grappling match and the lack of strength, you know, raw strength of Durant and of Steph Curry, the swallowing of the whistles, sometimes the settling, co- combined with the fact that you're tired because you're playing at such a much higher rate on defense, has caused their normally prolific offense to look just okay. But what's what's crazy about it is our our we're so trained to look at the final score, right? Like the final score, and you're like, oh, the Golden State Warriors offense looks inept against Houston's defense, like. It's not like Houston's killing it offensively either. I just gave you numbers. James Harden, 5 of 21. Chris Paul, 6 of 19. Eric Gordon, 6 of 15. Right? These are two of the most prolific offenses in NBA history, and both are being stymied by the other team playing really, really good defense. Um, the Chris Paul injury, if, if, if it's a tug on your hamstring, and anyone who, once you get older, this is kind of what happens. Right? This reminds me, like, old man ball guys, you can understand this. Like you just you feel that tug in your hamstring. It tends to happen once you hit your thirties. You get it all the time, and you can you'll be playing and playing hard, and then all of a sudden you'll feel it pull, and it won't feel right for a month. So my guess is that he plays through it in game six and plays through it in game seven, but it's going to limit him. Now Houston, of course, has had a ton of experience in playing with or without an injured Chris Paul throughout the season. Of course, they played last year without him. I, look, I think if Iguodala plays, it'll go to a Game 7. And if it goes to a Game 7, we're going to have a one or two possession game again. Uh, I do think that eventually, not only will Steph and Kevin Durant make more shots, but so too will James Harden. Harden did get some good, clean looks that he just missed. Some of it, I, I'm sure, is exhaustion. Some of it is uh, more length. Some of it is a little bit more physicality. And some of the moves which got him to the got him to the free, What was surprising to me was he got to the free throw line there early in the fourth quarter. And usually shooters, once you see the ball go through the hoop, that, that's dangerous for when they get it on the perimeter. And he got some pretty good looks. But um, 
Like, listen, let, let's not oversell, uh, oversell or undersell this thing. Houston has played outstanding physical defense, pushing the limitations of what the officials would call. So, too, is Golden State. The difference is Quinn Cook misses a wide-open three. Um, as far as Quinn Cook taking it, I mean, I guess you got to take it. Um, you had him in the game because you wanted more ball handling, and he has made 44%. This is one of those deals to where regular season percentages go out the window. You make 44% in the regular season, yeah, but it's completely different in this context, in that game. Um, I thought he was nervous because if you look, he didn't catch it clean. And then he took a quick kind of rush dribble, didn't set himself, did get a, a good look and just missed it. And I guess you'd take that shot 10 times in 10. He was wide open. But that's one of the reasons that, that's basically the reason that LeBron always wants those veteran guys on the floor, the cow Corvers on the floor, because those guys have taken shots like that a million times seemingly, or at least 10,000 times. And there's a greater likelihood of calmness in that position to make those shots. That's the difference between experience and inexperience. You don't get rushed. You don't take a quick uh, set yourself dribble and you don't miss it. Um, Draymond goes from playing poorly where he's trying to force things offensively. And of course, then he had the drive where he missed the layup, but gets it back and lays it in, then makes an open three to fumbling the ball late where he was just moving too quickly. Um, I, I do think that Golden State, you know, you go on the length of the floor. That's a hard thing to do when you're not used to it. But they did have the chance to get the ball to Draymond Green, who could have set them up for a good final look. He's probably your, you know, your best facilitator who's a non-shooter, which would have given you a myriad of options. I didn't hate that idea. He just moved too fast. So one missed shot, one error, and... uh and, and the Golden State Warriors lose, and now they're on the brink of elimination. But, but here, there's, here's another misconception or misperceived idea about basketball. It's like, oh, well, Kevin Durant has never played under this kind of pressure. Last year in the NBA Finals, he badly outplayed LeBron James in the fourth quarter. You can't get any more pressure than that. It's just like the Chris Paul thing. Like, Chris Paul doesn't play well under pressure. Or... You know, game six last year against Utah. Like, there's no, you don't have you don't have that factor in your mind when you're playing. Like, oh my gosh, game six against Utah on the road somehow isn't as much pressure as, you know, what game six against the Golden State Warriors on the road is going to be. You don't. Like, there's a lot of pressure. You want to win. If you lose, you go home. You feel embarrassed. There's pride that takes place. Game seven against the San Antonio Spurs four years ago. Can't get any more pressure than that. And while you can tell yourself, hey, this is a bigger game. This is a Either, you know, you, it's the percentage of times you come through when the pressure is great. That's it. So um, I'll just kind of go through what I saw last night. Houston, of course, only playing seven dudes. Gerald Green comes in and hits three threes. And the question for Houston is going to be, as this series gets closer to seven games, will they have gas in the tank? Right. He only played Nick Young. I think they tried to play David West, who just he can't play in this series when they play, you know, and unless Capella's on the floor, I don't he's just useless because they're just going to attack David West, attack David West. And he no longer even looks for that mid range uh, screen, short roll, pull up jump shot that made him an NBA all star. Of course, playing with Chris Paul and playing with uh, Tony Parker didn't hurt either. But I, I do wonder about Houston running out of gas as they're missing shots now that they normally would make. 
Um, P.J. Tucker's intensity defensively and occasional shot making is outstanding. He, of course, is kind of their Iguodala type. Uh, Capella has found kind of an ability to play here uh, against small ball lineups and occasionally get a catch and finish. Although I, I, I do think that he can be exposed more by Golden State. Um, Ariza didn't do much offensively, but his length and his intelligence defensively is, uh, is really, really kind of remarkable to watch. Uh, look, James Harden can't buy a bucket, and, uh, but he, and he isn't great defensively. He does wave the white flag. I'm not a huge fan, but I do think eventually he's going to hit some of these shots and in big situations. But man, 0 of 11 from three, and he's going to keep taking him. Uh, Chris Paul threw some in, had a couple of huge rebounds, a couple of beautiful assists. Um, you know, it's another year with another Chris Paul playoff injury. That's not a surprise to anybody who's watched Chris Paul. But I want him to be on the floor because I want to see who of these guards can step up and make plays. You know, for so long, Steph Curry had the upper hand on Chris Paul. And um, and last night, obviously, with the shimmy, you know, look, if you look, if you watch the game, you're like, wow, he badly outplayed Steph Curry because Steph, you know, missed that runner at the end of the game. If you look at the stats, Steph's eight of 17, which is not great. Two of eight from three. And he had some good looks four or five from the free throw line, seven rebounds, six assists. Then you look and Chris Paul is six of 19, four of nine, seven rebounds, six assists. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, the one thing that that Chris Paul didn't have is any turnovers, and of course, Steph's a high turnover guy. Draymond Green, six turnovers in the game. Then you look at Golden State, and uh, Steph, I think, figured out that they're going to keep forcing him to his left, keep making him drive. That's their scan report, and he's got to make that runner at the end of the game. He's got he's to find a way to continue to finish in traffic. He's got to make a couple of those step backs that he took. That's his signature shot that he's missing. Uh, Clay at times was better, but at times he looks super, super limited. It's like he's... He, he's become like a caricature of himself where all he does is catch and shoot. Even the air ball that he shot was weird. It's like he feels forced to, every time he catches it, shoot a jump shot or put his head down and one dribble step back and shoot. Um, Durant, you know, didn't really get the ball late in the fourth quarter. And I, this has been the problem for him is that he catches the ball so far off the post because one, they're allowed to be super physical. And two, as long as he is and as much of a weapon as he is, He's still fairly light in the britches and they can just push him off his spot as opposed to a LeBron who also, you know, gets shoved off his spot, but he's so strong that he can reestablish himself. There's a difference. There's just a massive difference in terms of percentage of makes between a 10 foot fadeaway and a 17 foot fadeaway. Draymond showed signs of breaking out of his offensive slump, especially late with that big three, but he did have some costly turnovers and there are times he tries to do too much. But the big thing is they need, they have to find a fifth player. Livingston barely played, didn't do enough. Quinn Cook didn't make a shot. He's tiny out there. Jordan Bell can't guard penetrating guards. And though they, what the one thing that Steve Kerr said they found, uh, we found something, is running some screen roll action with Jordan Bell. That's the kind of player he is. Roll to the rim. We'll throw it up to you. Um, and, you know, he's just got to get more comfortable playing out in the floor perimeter-wise, perimeter defensively. Nick Young didn't really get a look. Uh, David West looked like he was he was inept. So it's a it's a four man team, and you know fans are. I'm sorry, and I know many of you listen to this are real basketball fans, but fanboys are just dumb. Like, oh, the greatest team ever! I've always said this is not the greatest team ever comprised. 
it's 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 not. I mean, go back and look in the Lakers of the '80s and the Celtics of the '80s, and even the Pistons or the Bulls. Or you go back historically, like teams were more stacked than they are now. The salary cap does, in fact, work, and um, they have they have Kevin Durant is you know arguably the best player in the game. Uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are two incredible shooters. Obviously, Steph uh, has the remarkable ability to, to to make shots off the dribble and off the catch, and he can pass as well. Um, and then, you know, you have Draymond Green, who's a, a perfect glue guy, but Draymond Green on his own team is not a 20-point-a-game guy, you know, which is different than, say, a James Worthy, you know, who was the third, or, or Byron Scott. These are the third and fourth best weapons on the 80s Lakers team. So those guys were absolutely 25-a-game guys on on their own team. So they're just it's just different. The league is different. But what you find, what I've always said is, it's the, per, they're the perfect combination with one another. What they've lost is, you know, they, they no longer use any sort of center. Like, they didn't even give JaVale McGee a look. Why not give JaVale McGee a look against Clint Capella? Uh, but they don't have any sort of center. So you don't have Bogut, who is a great screener and a passer. You no longer use that. Um, and once that changed, they also, uh, so that's shortened their bench. And then you lose Andre Godala, and they just don't have a fifth guy. And remember, Houston is built to compete solely with the Golden State Warriors. And um, Houston playing at full strength or at least at full strength as opposed to Golden State without one guy. This is the difference. One guy is, in fact, that important. You lose Draymond. You lose Iguodala. uh, Any of those guys. And the same is true for Houston. One of those guys, and if Chris Paul goes down, it's a completely different team because they all work together in perfect fashion. You know, you take Chris Paul out, and now Eric Gordon has to handle the ball more, right? You take Trevor Reese out, and who's going to have that defensive matchup? P.J. Tucker, he'll get into foul trouble. Then what happens? So some of it is the misunderstanding of the importance of all five guys in a, in a chain link. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And the weakest link is far too weak right now for the Golden State Warriors. I don't think all hope is lost. Matter of fact, I'm super hopeful we're going to have two game sevens over the weekend. And I still think the Warriors are going to win the series. Uh, but I'm less than 100%. I'm more in the 55% confident. But I love the competitiveness of these games. As for the Celtics and the Cavaliers, which will take place tonight... Uh, I do think the Cavs win. I do think LeBron James is super smart and that he conserves his energy for games to which he knows he has to compete and give um, just extra human effort. And I think tonight will be one of those nights. And I think game seven will be one of those nights. I do think the Cavaliers ultimately reign supreme, but I'm less than 100% confident. It's in the 50% variety because I've seen the Celtics be play far above their level when they play at home. He's one of the best trash talkers in the history of the NBA. Uh, he was also a really good player at both Rutgers and Duke. Of course, played in the league, won an NBA championship. He's Dante Jones, going to join us in studio. Um, all right, let's 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 get to what we were just talking about you were listening in on. Okay, the NBA has the same rule. The same rule. Whereas, if you want to stay in the locker room, stay in the locker room. No, actually, you can't stay in the locker room. You're not supposed to. So you're not, not supposed to, but you can. But if you're, you're not supposed to go to restroom, right? But you're, if you're, you're supposed to if you're be on the court for the national anthem, if you're and, on the court, and your team has to do something universally, um, whether it's hand over your heart, behind your back, whatever it is, you have to have your uniform on. It has to be something in unison. Um, but you have to be a team in that in that front. Like remember when the holding of the arms, like you can't have some people holding arms, you can't have 
other people not, like you all have to do it together. Right, right. But there is no kneeling. No one, no one has taken a knee it at this point. It hasn't been addressed and, by Adam Silver, and I think there have been, probably been small conversations in where we say, you know what, that's not the way we bring attention to this cause. We can find other ways to do it because it's it's obviously being deflected in the right, in the wrong manner within the NBA, NFL. Because I think right now we're deflecting the conversation rather than addressing what it's for. We deflect it as disrespect rather than saying, you know, we do have a real problem in our country. So it's a deflection tactic rather than like this whole this whole narrative of of disrespect and what it's a it's an opinion. You may feel it's disrespectful. I may not. You have veterans that think it's disrespectful. You have veterans that don't think it's disrespectful. People who want to lie on have different opinions. However, we're not addressing what it's for. And I think that's where the frustration and stubbornness is coming to play by the players. I, I completely actually agree with you on that, that point. Totally agree with you. My thing is, attention has been brought to this, right? Attention has been brought to brought it. Brought to what? Brought to police brutality as a huge problem. But but the NFL hasn't addressed it. And the reason well, why, why is the NFL supposed to address police brutality? What, what I'm saying is the NFL's has never addressed it and said, you know what, our guys are standing for something, but this is not the the right, the way they're supposed to do it. They say, you know what, it's disrespectful to the flag. Like they haven't, the, at some point in time, as as humans, why, why as Americans, we have to just stand for what's right sometimes. And and we and the dollar is the dollar is important in business purposes. But you sure. see businesses stand for what's right, even when it could cost them a dollar or two, because at the end of the day, it's the human thing to do. Okay, so but but you didn't. There, there's two different parts to it. First, we both agree that none of this gets us to it. But you're like, I don't understand what the NFL is supposed to do. <laughs> okay, and second, it I is think, actually think, by I rule the, the NBA players I, are supposed to stand, so it is actually the same rule by by rule, and they can be fined. Adam Silver has not said whether or not he will find somebody or won't find somebody, but nobody has taken a, taken a knee. I, I guess the second part of the issue is you have a problem with me saying that it's disrespectful, right? I respect your opinion whether you think it's right. No, I don't have a. I don't mind you. I don't have a problem with you. I just feel I, differently, and that, and that's fine. I think we're all going to feel differently in some respect to what the notion is. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with it. What it's for is why we're doing. Like I may not agree to a to a um, protest. Like I don't. I, I mean, I think that's effective. But you have to understand why the people are doing it because they're trying to draw attention to something that is that's not supposed to be. See, happening. I think it's been really effective. I I, I think sometimes you people get caught up in the semantics. I'm not offended by it, but I do think it's a sign of disrespect. Okay. It's an intentional sign of disrespect to bring attention to a problem, and attention has been brought to a problem. The, the there's it, it, there's it, other in, is issues. Is it disrespectful with, to wear a hat during the national anthem? Yes, by a fan. Yes, is it disrespectful to not have your hand over your heart? Uh, no, to stand at attention is good enough. Is disrespectful to sit in your seat? Yes. Okay. But these yeah. are all things people do. Like uh, no, if you look at if you look when, at an when arena you go to, when you go or to, a stadium, people you, are. Hats on, sitting, standing. Like when was the last time you were at a game? Uh, game three and four of the uh, East uh, of the Eastern Conference Finals. And during the national anthem, people were sitting. I've seen people sit. Yeah, like no, 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 no. Some, some majority were standing. Some were sitting. Some people chose to do different things. Some people go to the concession stand when it's playing because they're just like, I. Right, it is, is what it is. Like it's not a pivotal point in the night. You know, if you get I, what I'm saying, people are like, you know what? I can't wait till the national anthem starts playing because. That's what I came for. No, we came to see this 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 athletic event, and it it's it's something that goes on. People sing. Some people wait to see the, who's singing it and who's performing, or what have you. But some people get up and go. Some people are like, "Oh, national is coming on. I'm out of here." You get what I'm saying? 
I don't know anybody who gets out of there other than somebody who's like, I, I want to skip the, I want to, I want to cut the line. Because it's not there. It's not that the, time. Where I don't think. Pe- I don't think that's why they do it. They do it because of the night. I don't think right. it has anything. I think the the guy who goes the concession line is the guy who thinks he can get a get better easier spot in concession line. But he's not paying attention to what you value as being important in the night. Sure, but if you're if you're so is he state, disrespectful if, if, if he's yeah. trying to beat a line at that point in time? Well, if he's walking out when they start singing, then yeah. No, no. If, it's if also he, like if, like, no, if he walks out right before they start singing, when they start lining up, he walks out before. Is he being disrespectful? I'm just no. just a question. I'm not saying it's right no. or wrong. But if you're in the, I mean, like I wouldn't because he chose not to stay for I, it because he I, wanted listen, to get ahead in line. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm like. <laughs> I'm like some flag waving okay. super super patriot. I will tell you that like comes out at your house. You're watching with your kids. Do it's, you stand up in your living room? Yes. Okay. Just different but it only things. happens during the Super Bowl or during. And part of some it is people like sit down and just keep watching a game. Like, I know they. I, on, I understand. I understand they do. But I got kids around. I'm like I. I think I'm supposed to show them to to do this because it's out of out of respect and okay. out, of, out of respect for our country. I think is kind of the general thing. Like, look, I'm not disputing at all that there's a problem with police officers. Look, we also we have a, a litany of other problems that kind of go hand in right, hand with that's it. That's just the one the athletes chose to to stand up for because it was the most one that it resonated in their community and, and, and them as people. And as now we see an athlete who's dealing with the same type of issue of just just being he committed he committed, a, he committed a, an offense, but he's just like it was no need for the the level of aggression. Who was Sterling? Oh. Dude, that was ridiculous. Right. So the whole so, thing is ridiculous. Right. And and so now now as an athlete, like it doesn't matter as an African American athlete, like it doesn't matter just cuz cuz I have ran into to to law officers who find it's that point in time to like, "Oh, oh, you think you're hot. You think you're hot but stuff. I also, you're, I, are, I would are you tell bigger you, than I me? Would, Do you look, have problems like, yeah, you have to de-escalate the situation because of who you are sometimes and because they just feel threatened." I would say that the, there's uh, and it's probably not equal numbers, but as a white guy, I can tell you that there's there there are cops that they're just that way with anybody. They're on a they're and guys I, on a power I would, trip. I would agree with you. And I and I and and the hard part, the the hard line to walk. And I think the big thing that got this off to a bad start was Kaepernick was not somebody who was comfortable being out in front of the media and commanding the different to make sure that the protest kind of stayed on point, to stay on focus about what it was about, right? And it just didn't. And because he wanted to silently go about his business and just do it in his own way and then donate money in his own way, it needed somebody like a LeBron. So he, right. Or so, okay. Who's, we who's totally better. agree. And, and then he also. He wasn't big enough to, to, he, he to hold that. It wasn't that, that he wasn't big enough. It's that he had the other, he had the, the pig socks. He had the, the, uh, the Castro shirt. But also, he's just not somebody who is comfortable in having a voice more so than in his actions. It has to be in his words and direct us okay. to how to follow you next. Okay. Because he did start a movement that people are still talking about, yet okay. you never hear Colin Kaepernick ever. You mean to tell me I wouldn't have my radio show? In a heartbeat. He should be on all. So he had a responsibility to to voice and, 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 and speak on this rather than just. I think so. And no, I, and I agree with you. Okay, I agree with you. Dante Jones continues to join us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Let's uh, let's start at at last night. You know LeBron. You played with LeBron, and last night was a night to which they just didn't seem to have it. Uh, the lack of use of Kyle Korver, because uh, apparently they they like the uh, Shemi Ojale matchup. When you're sitting there watching the game and they're not using a guy who not only is a third leading scorer, but it's coming off a night in which he hit everything. 
mm-hmm. and and probably change this series for the better for the Cavs. What was your reaction? I didn't understand the strategy of having him only play in the second quarter, not playing any first quarter minutes. But there's obviously some strategy behind it, and it didn't work. So I guess we got to go back to the drawing board. Um, but you have to respect the the effort that the, those kids on the Celtics put out and on their home court. They're like they're they're amazing. At Why home. are they so much better at home? I don't. That Celtic crowd is is amazing. Number one, it's in top five of best arenas and best crowds and best fan bases in the NBA. But they just have so much more confidence, and you and they're even the shots they take early on are just different with their their home crowd behind them. So um, officiating officiating, I think, plays a part. Um, I don't think I don't think so in that capacity. I think they just they're just more confident. Marcus Smart's knocking threes down. I know. In, 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 a, in a great capacity there and not in Cleveland. Like it has nothing to do with officiating. I think it's still going to be a tough game defensively. They they give the effort, but offensively they have more confidence. They they play at a different pace when they're at home. All right. So what about LeBron? Uh, at some point he did, whether he was playing to the camera or he was exhausted. You know, he had that, he had a look on his eyes. On the other hand, we saw this in game one a little bit to where I don't know if he was just, you know, conserving he, himself for game two. What he, do you think was going on? He's been saying he's like extremely tired after these games and the outputs he had to put on. So he's, this is not something that's been, even in the last game when, when, when they won, he said, I'm, there's nobody more tired than me right now after this game. Um, but even the first, you look at the first quarter, you could tell he just didn't have it. And as an athlete, you can say some nights, like, you just don't have it. Like, consist. He, we think he's a robot. We think he's like he's, he's Superman, but he had twenty six and ten, and he looked bad. Yeah, and that and that's crazy. I know. Right now, like we we're acting like he had the worst game ever. Right, but he looked exhausted. He looked like he looked. You see it in his face. He looked dehydrated. He looked like all these things that happen to athletes when you think you're fine, and then all of a sudden you just feel like crap. And yeah, it, and, and it sucks. There used Sometimes. to be an uh, I li- like love this video. RC uh, R- was it RC Cart? Is that what it was? Um, remember they used to, it was like a, like a, a little radio controlled cart and you had the, you could hit the nitrous, mm-hmm. right? Or in, in any of the NFL live games, whatever, in terms of hitting a turbo, mm-hmm. sometimes you go to hit the turbo button and you got no, no turbo there. And it's not there. And that, how hard is it to get it back when you only have one day off in between these next two? Um, it's just like some days you just, it just some, some days we just have bad days. Some days our body just feels bad as we get older. Like you just feel sure terrible. And you have to fix it by diet, sleep, whatever you can do in these next couple of hours. But it's just something he's going to have to try and try, try and fix. Do you think they win the series? I think they win the series. I, I've, I've said this. It's going to be a seven-game series. Okay. I think they're going to win tomorrow. And I look forward to a um, historic performance in Boston Garden, like with his back against the wall. I think he, he operates the best with his back against the wall. Um, and I, I, I have faith in that. I think we have two commodities, proven commodities in the NBA right now, the Golden State Warriors and LeBron James. I like, and would I bet against in either one of those two? No. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think that he wasn't feeling great, uh, and there was a certain level of conservation, and there is the knowledge he still has, whether it's confidence or arrogance, the same thing as the Warriors, he's that not, he knows not Game 7 in Boston, I've done this. I've literally done this before. Other people can say he has the confidence, but he has the confidence in the track record to say, you know what? Okay, I can scratch that, throw it aside, and I've done this before, and I can do it again because I am the greatest in the game. Right? It now. is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. All right, let's get to the Warriors. Who it looks like they're going to have Clay. I 
think they'll have Iguodala, but we don't know. How important is Iguodala from your perspective? That's a dangerous one right there because what makes them special is they have a, they have multiple elite defenders. They have Draymond, they have um, Clay, they have Andre, and Sean Livingston at points in times can do that. Um, but then when you take him away, you take their best defender away, their quarterback, he's a playmaker, um, he's probably the smartest. He's most, always in the right spot, right? Because right? he's the most intelligent. And you can tell that like he's all about winning because he's a max player that took a demotion to the bench and doesn't care about a stat alive. He just wants to win. And that is what makes that team special because you have a max player that say, you know, I go to the bench and I just do whatever you want to. If you want me to average six and five, I will just to just to just to win a championship and go in the Hall of Fame. Like that it, I'm fine with that. Um, okay, I don't think Andre Iguodala's going to Hall of Fame. That's one, one we would agree. You're, you're a champion. You're going. You're going. You're going to the Hall of Fame. You're a Finals MVP. You're going. You're. It may take a couple ballots, but I don't think Andre Iguodala's going. Okay, Hall of Fame. we'll see. I love you. I don't think he's going we'll to Hall of Fame. Dante Jones joining us. You're, you're in I basketball mean, Hall of Fame. Yeah, but when so. you get introduced as a Hall of Famer, you get voted as a Hall of Famer. Like I, I think Draymond's going in because how many you know how many Finals MVPs. Are not in the Hall of Fame. That's I, a good. That's a good I, stat to find I would out. Have I'm to, not, if you'd like to, we'll have Ryan Music pull can we, up. Can, the, we, can we check that out? Like, but, but Finals MVPs don't aren't necessarily things that. Is Chauncey Billups going to go into the Hall of Fame? Uh, he'll be very close. He'll probably get in there. But he was also a multi-time All Star, okay. which I'd I'd like to see Iguodala, who okay. previously in his career averaged over 20 a game, right. but now is it? So well, here, here's what I think Iguodala is. Okay, <laughs> you know when you have a. Um, you know when you have like a quartet and you have the one guy who's the bass guy, the doo da, right? Like that guy, right? Like you always go like, hey, anybody can do that, right? right? Anybody can do it. And then all of a sudden they switch bass guys and he doesn't know quite the moves like everybody else. Right. The bass, that's what, like, look, I think Jordan Bell eventually is going to be a good, really good player. No, he's think, not. No, he won't be close to Andre Godala. No, no, no. I'm saying, oh. but remember, we're talking Andre Godala now in his mid 30s as opposed to, he, he'll never be Andre Godala in his 20s. But he could very easily be a Clint Capella type eventually. That's the type of player that he'll be. Six foot eight can guard a bunch of positions. I don't even think he's six foot eight out there, but that's fine. Okay. By anyway, six, by six seven, Clint Capella's what? Six ten, six eleven. The point is, as a rim protector, a guy who can switch on a defense, rebound with great energy. See, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think Kayvon Looney's going to be a really good player. I agree but with at, you on that. One. But at this point in time, they when they're be. out there in a big situation, they're like a little bit off. They're in the wrong play. They're like, wait, where am I supposed to be? This is not. And they're just a little bit off if they have Iguodala, even though Iguodala is the fifth most important in terms of scoring offensive player. Right, but he does so many things that you can't quantify, whether it be scoring, defense, playmaking. He's 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 their quarterback with Draymond and, and making plays, getting guys in the right sets, um, and keeping keeping heads cool, as you see what um what Steve Kerr said about him. Like he's he's a valuable part of that team because they are ultimately a team, they're collective of of very good players that work well together. And and make up for e- for each other's inefficiencies. Okay, are they in trouble? If he doesn't play, they're in trouble. But I, it's it's hard to bet against them when when he's on when he's available. When they have a full roster, it's it's hard to bet against them. Why do you think? Because he's, he's with, with the exception of game was game three, and then that five minute stretch in game four. Uh, Steph has looked. He hasn't looked like an All NBA guy. He's looked like a guy who takes a lot of shots. Why? That's what he does. He takes shots. Like, what do you depend on Steph Curry to do at the end of the day? You depend on him to make shots and take shots. You don't depend on him to make plays for other people. He just has shooters around him. No, I, 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 I totally, I, you know I, I mean? completely you understand it. I'm, I'm saying though that the, 
that the percentages are way down. Again, if you take out those stretches, they're the games way- that he has to play defense, conference finals. He he struggles when 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 he's being his confidence lie. It's looking like his confidence lies in his ability to to just just to be comfortable out there. And when people are attacking you every play, looking for your switch, making you work on a defensive end, it takes away from his his personal confidence, which is help, hurts his shooting confidence. So with Iguodala out there, like their whole thing is they're trying to find the right matchup and the switching and all that and. Well, looking at him like, nah, I don't want him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want him. Oh yeah, I want him. And it's just, it's just harder. It's hard with him not being there. It's, 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 it's easier to get to matchup that you want and the favorable matchup, and you go one on one with, and, and and you can create something. All right, by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win the the DeAndre Godala, uh Finals MVP debate real quick. Why was he the Finals MVP? Because he actually did some offensive end too, and because they didn't guard him. They remember in that Finals they didn't guard him. They left him wide open, and he made them pay. Right. And that is hard to do. I, I well, when you no, 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 lost because, your shooting confidence because it's lo- he Harrison used to be Barnes, a they left Harrison Barnes on, and he didn't do it. I understand. Like, but it's, it's hard to do. Be, being left open is probably the worst one you want to be on because it's a lot of pressure on you. I'd rather have somebody running at me than leave me wide open. My my point is that I don't think anyone would argue he was even the best player in that series. He just uh, simply scored a bunch of points in an important game because they left and him wide he open. Got, he, he scored a whole bunch of points. And he did a great and job with LeBron. did a great job and guarded LeBron. But also, LeBron probably should have been the MVP what, considering but, he was playing without <laughs> he was playing without right. Kyrie. But, what, what, was, without, what was Steph's numbers in that series? Like Not great. Right. Okay. Not great. But they played a depleted Cavs team, and so it was like an ensemble. Right, which I have, a, I have a whole opinion on that one, too. Because All right, good. You'll give us the opinion on okay, that one in a second. One. Doug Gottlieb show. Dante Jones played for a decade in the NBA. One NBA championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He joins us in studio. All right, so uh, we want to start Cavs. Bingo, Cavs. Go. So I don't agree with people saying, you know what, uh, the Cavs won the championship because Draymond didn't play or because they had injuries because you know, uh, what um, Bogut went down and people weren't fully healthy. But then they give the Warriors the credit for winning it the first year they won it. When Kevin Love and Kyrie didn't play, they didn't have a full roster. Well, I, I don't know, but I just don't know who you're reacting to because, like, the sense the media, the media's the but who, who, what, what media? I'm in. I I don't do the the media because I'm in the, the media. The I'll, public I'll perception. Yeah, but, of they of they earned theirs, but the fans, Cavs did not oh, earn theirs. That's 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 that's. Well, look, my, I my I think beat. there's, but if you remember when the Warriors first won their title. A lot of people. There wasn't, myself, there wasn't an asterisk by, by it. I thought there actually was. Remember, Steve no. Kerr even said we were we were fortunate, we were lucky that they played the the was the Hornets then the Pelicans now the Hornets and Drew didn't play the first two games. They played Grizzlies, they played the Mike Grizzlies. Conley Mike Conley didn't play, didn't play. and then they never played the Clippers or the Spurs that year because the Clippers beat the Spurs, and then the Rockets beat the beat the Clippers and then Pat they Beverly played, wasn't there. and then they played the Rockets without Pat Beverly and then after game 1 didn't have Kyrie never had Kevin Love. So I disagree with you in terms I think was there an asterisk by it? Like yeah, look this is what's happened in so many championships in the past. Health you, is a big part of a championship. Always a big yeah, right. just health, as much as how good you are. Right. Larry Bird Larry Bird's back cost the Celtics titles. Absolutely. Uh Byron Scott was hurt one year that hurt the Lakers even when the Lakers last repeat ended. Uh, yes, Kobe and Shaq were feuding, but Carmelo got hurt and Rick Fox got hurt. Right. right? And, and of course, the Pistons beat him. So it, it has. So it's health ended- slash luck, coaching, and players. They all have to align. Like the stars have to align for you to win a championship. It's just not total dominance. And you're just like people. 
it's a long season. So health is a is a is a part of your championship. Properly characterized from an uh, NBA veteran's mind, what we should see when we see the Golden State Warriors. What we should see? What, what is that? Well, like, like I've heard people. Well, is, the, is this the greatest team of all time? Is this when you see them? What I see do you them see? as a collective, and I see them as like. They have a bunch of important pieces. Like when people say, you know, Steph is Steph's not their best player, but he 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 does his job of he he creates uh, spacing for the other parts of their team. Clay is one of the best. They have the top three shooters in the game. KD's the bet one of a top two scorer because if Kyrie's around, like you can debate that. He but he's seven feet tall. He can get to a spot. He can score on on basically anybody. Um. So they have. Spot up shooters, they have tough shot makers, they hybrid have, hybrid defensive players as well. They, they have multiple they can, defenders. They also they are the, they also are the all best very backup point guards in basketball. They're also very bright. They also have guys that are collectively like Steve Kerr's helped them become bright because Steve Kerr plays an integral part in there because they have, they have great coaching because his system and how he got Steph off the ball and put him into just a, a mover and the way he moves without the ball now, rather right. than just put him in traditional point guard space where he just has to um, Go pick, pick and roll and make plays for everybody. That's not what he does. He's a nightmare off the ball, the way he cuts and moves and keeps, and, and you always have to be focused towards him. See, that's actually one of the best points I've ever heard made that I've never heard anyone say, right? It's like the genius to Phil Jackson wasn't just the triangle offense. It was that he got people in the perfect space. The triangle was perfect spacing, so that Mike could be Mike, and then he convinced Michael Jordan, when the double team comes, I'm going to get the right teammates in the right spot, you get it to them, and they'll make shots, and it ended up working. And what you're saying is, hey, Steve Kerr was the first guy to tell Steph, like, stop trying to prove you're a point guard. Right. Just be Steph Curry, which sometimes you handle it, sometimes you move. and Just be the greatest shooter of all time. And and you can be that, and you can make it a nightmare for people to guard everybody else because we have specialists. You, like me, understand how important confidence is. KD, something weird happened in the fourth quarter where he took two terrible shots and then last possession, he didn't even look at the basket. He just, he quick kind of kind of hot potatoed it to Clay Thompson. How hard is it for a guy of his stature to flip it in one game, to go from terrible fourth quarter, everybody's talking about you turning down a shot, to, okay, I got to get back to being KD? It's all a learning experience. Each game is a learning experience. You grab different things from each game in the, in the course of a series. I think he... Hindsight is always twenty twenty. He's aware of that right now. But in that instance, in that quick instance, he was forced to be a playmaker. And that's not what he does. He's a scorer. He's a flat-out scorer. He ha- he finds his spot. He gets it done. He scores over anybody. And that point in time, he tried to make the right play. And that's right. just that's not the best of his skill set. Yeah, when people say, just be you, be you, that that isn't get a, he, he was supposed to get a shot up. He yes. was supposed to get the best shot, get to his spot, and rise up. And the only thing I can think of is he overreacted to how bad, how atrocious those previous two shots were that he took and tried to get somebody else to look. Dante Jones, great stuff, man. Let's welcome in Sam Vecini. Uh Did you go to the Combine? I did go to the Combine. It was a great three days in Chicago. Okay, give me the... Uh, Give me three guys who were better than you thought. Three guys who were better than I thought. I would say Josh Okoji stood out a little bit. I think he's a little more athletic and bouncy than he showed at Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, six four, seven foot wingspan, very, very talented player. Uh, production has always been there. Had a few analytics guys reach out to me throughout the year asking why he wasn't higher. He really showed out at the Combine. Number two, I think Javon Carter like, was awesome at the Combine. He was 
just an absolute menace defensively, made Tony Carr and Devontae Graham and Shake Milton's life just absolutely miserable defensively. And it looked like it would translate in a way that you weren't really sure that it would at the NBA level, just given his lack of size, but the motor, the energy, everything like that. I think that he's just going to be a great backup point guard who can change pace. And then finally, I would look at Kevin Hervey out of UT Arlington. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan of his for a while, but he just kind of got his shot whenever he wanted against even uh, the best players that they could put him up against. And he's such a good shooter at six foot eight with a seven, four wingspan that uh, I think that there's a role for him in the NBA. As long as the medicals come back clear, If the medicals come back clear. Uh, I think you have to start looking at him as a top 40 pick, but if they don't, then uh, things get a little bit dicier for him. Of course, the medicals are about a knee injury, which he suffered. I'm going to go a year and a half ago, right? Year and a half ago. Well, a year and a half ago, and then he suffered a torn ACL in the other knee in high school, too. Right. So it's it's both sides of the spectrum there. You know, the Carter thing's interesting because people have a—I think college fans have a tough time wrapping their head around, if you're not a star or a potential star, you still have to find a role. And what you'll you'll hear from basketball fans is, well, like, okay, you think of—they think of roles as positions— and we're talking about positionless basketball. Like that's sort of the case, but not really the case. Javon Carter, whether it's a backup or more than likely a third point guard, what does your third point guard have to do? He has to be able to change the pace of the game one way or the other, usually defensively, pick up 94 feet. He can do that. Additionally, because he's over 200 pounds and just strong as an ox, even though yeah. he's small, you feel like, People aren't going to be able to post him up nearly as he's just tougher than a $2 steak. And so in NBA defenses where people are switching everything, he'll be fine. He'll be able to hold his own and he can make an open shot. And really that's kind of, you know, it, it sounds really simple. It's interesting because I had a, a discussion with um, uh, one of the coaches actually at the combine and we were talking about guys. And I want to get to this from, from you in a second, the guys who didn't impress. And he was like, what's Landry Shamit in the NBA? And I was like, I don't know. And yeah. and uh, he said, you know, he's he's smaller than whatever he's listed as and whatever he measured out, which I think he measured out at six four. He feels smaller. He's got small hands. Yep. And, you know, in the NBA, like he, too, is really more of a backup or third point guard. Now, he can make a shot and he can guard some, although he struggled with the athleticism and he struggled to get a step. And so y- you might end up drafting Landry Shamit. I've I've seen first round, I think, more second round. Javon Carter, whether he goes drafted or doesn't go drafted, is just as, if not more likely, to be a better fit for an NBA team in that particular role. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right uh, in every way. Like Javon Carter, the other thing with Javon is, uh, you mentioned the strength, it's endurance, too. That kid runs forever, and he never gets tired. Uh, that's something that you heard out of West Virginia, and it's something that rang true at the Combine. That guy just sprinted around everyone for all of the 20 minutes of each game that he was on the floor. And then, yeah, Shamit's a guy that I've been a little bit lower on the more I watched him this season. I liked the idea of him Mm -hmm. coming into the year, but I found the same thing that you did. I think his defensive reputation is pretty overblown. Uh, He is the guy that really struggled this year at the point of attack and was, I think, a pretty significant reason why Wichita State's defense which I thought would be one of the best in the country coming into the year, just given the fact that they had Zach Brown, they have a lot of really high-end defenders and a lot of athleticism. Uh, they just really couldn't stop anyone. They, they couldn't stop 
a single thing from happening on the floor throughout the entire season. And, you know, you look at NBA players, they're bigger, they're quicker. I'm with you. I don't, I don't know what Landry Shamit really does anymore. And he might be like one of the five best shooters in the draft. Right. Like that's super helpful, but that's really all that he's bringing to me like that. And super high level decision-making he's not, like Fred Van Vliet in terms I, of being I, a super I, high level decision maker, right? And Van but Vliet I, I brings it defensively every night. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think like Carter does. I think he gets. He's going to get from somebody. He's going to get like a Van Vliet type pass. You know, they're like, well, Wichita State they play defense. You know, Wichita State was interesting. At in some point, you know, in the summer, I know you have your pod. You come back on. We'll talk college teams. But Wichita State was yeah. one to which I don't think people watched. Uh, closely enough, whereas I talked to a couple of AAC coaches. I look, if they have Fran Camp and they have Austin Reeves who transferred out to Oklahoma on the floor at the same time, they can't guard anybody. And then Shamit's not not great either. And then if they have mm-hmm. those two off the court, now they they can't shoot. You know, yeah. so so that that was their issue when when they would have like Zach Brown uh, or Rashard Kelly or some of these other guys on the floor instead is they would be much better defensively. But it is interesting on how sometimes reputations and this is the hard part. And this is why the combine. And I again, you attended it. I watched it on TV and talked to people about it more. I think next year I'll, I'll go back to going in person. But this is why the combine is important. Why workouts are important, because I, I saw Jason King write something. Uh, on Twitter about how, you know, we had all these years to evaluate these guys. And now we need to evaluate over, you know, a workout mm-hmm. over like, yeah, but Landry Shamit has a great reputation defensively. But part of that was earned when he was playing against the Missouri Valley Conference, you know, and even against yeah. the AAC this year, like how good are the guards? Some of the top level guards lit them up in that league, you know, like uh, when he when, when they lost when they got blown out by Houston they got beat by Houston twice th- this year so and, and a Rob Gray you know went at them so I, I think but the point is that when you're when you're going against it's like the um, the twins from Nevada uh, one of the coaches said like dude those are great kids I love to have them on my team just not in the NBA because they were they were just they were at a talent there's a talent disparity between them and the kids that are going to be, even be borderline pros to which uh, the Martin twins have no shot. They were just overwhelmed by But you don't necessarily see that as much in an NCAA tournament as much as you see it in a workout or a combine. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. Like in, in the case of the Martin twins, we kind of saw that when they were in the ACC, right? right? Like whenever they went up a level and played at NC State, their athleticism just didn't show, right? And then they go down a level where the athleticism barrier is a little bit lower, and their shooting ability plays up. Or in Cody's case, his incredible defensive uh, motor plays up, and his ability to handle the ball and play some point at six foot six plays up. That's stuff that really doesn't translate. I think it's why a lot of NBA folks think of Cody as a slightly better prospect than Caleb because he's the one who brings a lot of different stuff to the table. But in the case of the Combine in general, yeah, I think it's a very valuable tool. It's certainly just a piece of the puzzle. Like, I'm not throwing away the 1,000 to 4,000 minutes we have. And in Grace and Allen's case, we really do have like 4,000 minutes of save that we can get through. Um, to evaluate these guys, but it's worth seeing how they look on an NBA floor with NBA spacing with the new three-point line and in relative comparison to other NBA prospects and other NBA guys that they're going to be playing against night after night next year. So, like... Landry Shamit, we can go back to him. He looked small out there. Yep. Uh, Shake Milton is another guy that I don't really think did himself any favors at all. 
Shake Milton is six foot six with a seven foot one wingspan. He didn't look like that out there. Like he looked considerably smaller than Melvin Frazier, who's six six with a seven foot two wingspan. You really have to see them out on the floor to get a full feel for what these guys look like in terms of how they're going to impact an NBA floor. It's a great, it's a great point. It, the Shake Milton thing is fascinating because uh, you know, he grew up in Bixby, Oklahoma. He played for a buddy of mine in AAU basketball, and everyone raves about his basketball IQ, which is you know, which is mm-hmm. which is important. Um, but he's not a point guard. Like I, I yeah. and the more in which you go, no, no, he's an NBA point guard. Like, no, he's really not. Like, he's a good player. He's not an NBA point guard. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to a kid who many people thought could sneak into the late first round. He's had some tough workouts. He really struggled at the combine. He's somebody who I talked to five different people. They all said Shake Milton struggled. And be interesting to see how much that reputation of high basketball IQ, skilled, great kid great length but can he actually play uh mm-hmm. at an elite level and that that to which the answer to this point is no obviously he's going to get time in the g league to continue to develop but going to be interesting to see what happens with him yeah like i really like shake milton coming into the combine and i still like him like he'll still be a top 35 guy on my board something like that top 40 guy like he's not falling way out of the, like the mix here for an nba draft pick because i do like the measurements i like the fact that he was over 40 percent from three every single season of his college career uh, i like the ability as a potential secondary ball handler but you're right he's not a point guard he's not an nba point guard he doesn't have the handle he doesn't have the strength of his handle he doesn't have the first step to be the kind of guy that can initiate your offense consistently and get into the teeth of the defense. That's okay. There's a role for him, but what he needs to do is he needs to figure out how to defend and he needs to continue to hopefully fill out his body because guys just kind of knock him off his spot whenever they want to now. And that's a bit of a disappointment, I think, for a guy that has the length and measurements that he does. Feels like Dante DiVincenzo should go. I think I agree. Uh, he's, He's one of those guys that's, got no bad decision, right? He can go back to Villanova where he knows he will be utilized to the absolute best extent that he can be utilized under Jay Wright. They'll put him in space. They'll give him the ball and he'll be great. Like who knows what's going to happen with Javon Quinterly too, in regards to the NCAA investigation. Uh, Maybe he plays some point guard uh, with or without Quinterly, depending on what happens there. Maybe he can show NBA executives that he can handle that. Maybe he can show them that you know he can defend at a more consistent rate as opposed to making the spectacular play that you see from him occasionally defensively. But I think he's a first-round pick if he goes. I think enough NBA teams like him. It's kind of similar to the Grayson Allen situation two years ago yeah. where Grayson was coming off of the All-American season. Teams thought of him as a high-level athlete, uh, as a guy that could really uh, impact an NBA game as a shot maker and shooter. Grayson probably would have gone somewhere in like the 18 to 25 range in that draft. Mm-hmm. I think that with DiVincenzo, you're talking somewhere like 20 to 30 in this draft. I don't know where Grayson goes in this draft. I, I don't think it's a guarantee he goes in the first round, and who knows what would happen with Dante if he doesn't take that next leap in terms of growth forward next year. It's interesting because I, I think – you know, like if every if your goal is to play in the NBA, this is probably his best. He should go. I I don't think he's a. Uh, I I don't think he's a point guard. You tell that dog to pipe down, or I'll come over there. I'm kidding. Um, 
And my five pound chihuahua is going nuts. Um, I, I, but I, I think you like. Look, if you go back to the NCAA tournament, I think it was a Sweet Sixteen or whatever. He's throwing the ball all over the place when he had to play the point guard position. Like he doesn't. Or when they play, it was West Virginia. Was that Sweet Sixteen or is that Elite Eight? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, Sweet Sixteen. Right. So there, that that just kind of exposes what Jay Wright's kind of always known, which is he's a he's a great athlete. He's a tough kid, and he can you know make shots, uh, but. He ain't a point guard, and he's probably never going to be one. But coming off the bench, a guy who can guard a couple positions, a guy who can make a shot, spread the floor, and occasionally finish, and he can finish in the lane. Like if you know what he is, I think you're getting some good value out of him. But I, I my my assessment of he should go is, I don't know if his stock's ever going to be higher than it is right now. And he has been in college long enough to and won a national championship. Why the hell not, right? Yeah, like so much of this is a stock market game, right? You're trying to figure out when to sell and when to, you know, stay in school and decide to try and grow your stock. It's such a difficult concept for a lot of kids because like Hamadou Diallo tried to play this game last year and figured he would come into college and dominate because he was a top 10 recruit coming in. So why wouldn't he dominate? And that didn't happen. Uh, He just wasn't strong enough on the ball. Wasn't, uh, you know, a good enough defensive player consistently. He did show it in the NCAA tournament, but wasn't necessarily that way all year. Uh, didn't utilize his athletic tools to the extent that you would hope and has no real half-court offensive game at all. Outside so, of that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the show? But I guess here's the thing about Hami Diallo, okay? This is a great, it's a great name that you brought up, which is, yeah. for him, I guess it would have been smarter to go last year, right? Um, I but does, so. But doesn't it prove that NBA people are insane for drafting kids who they're not sure about, right? Like, the truth serum oh, is yeah. just watch him play. And you're like, what What? What are you guys doing? Why would you do when you have no idea if he's ever going to be able to actually play basketball in the NBA? And he was a, he was a workout guy. I mean, he was, man, man, look at all these things he knew. I watched him play in person two times this year on tape, obviously a ton. And I was blown away by how he just didn't do much. There was no real fit there, wasn't especially the feel was missing. And yeah. um it's just it's fascinating to me on how we have we have kind of conflicting conversations, Sam. You and I, I think, view it from the proper lens, which is let's just should the player go more so than should the team take him. But I sometimes look at it as these teams taking them and a Mitchell Robinson's a great question. What do you do with yeah. him? You know, he's never played a minute of college basketball. He looks good in a workout and look good in 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 uh in all star basketball, but what is he going to be in an NBA court playing against men during his first contract? And my answer is I don't know. I would prefer to take somebody I know about. Yeah, no, I agree with you definitely. And I think that the funniest example of that that I can give you is Anthony Simons. Right. Uh Anthony Simons like was literally asked about this phenomenon at the combine and he goes yeah, I think that the idea of mystery like plays up for me. I think it helps me that you know people don't really know what I am. Uh, his exact quote was, I feel like it helps me a lot, just like international players. They always come over and never do workouts. They always just come over and be first-round picks, and I feel like that's what's going to happen to me. So, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a ridiculous sentiment because if you've seen Anthony Simons at all, like he's this kid that's six foot four. He's not a point guard. He has long arms, but he's a scoring guard more than anything. Uh, He is not super strong on the ball. He's not super uh, physical in general. He's 
a guy that whenever I talked to NBA folks, they felt he was like kind of a garbage time scorer. When the game was super tough, he wasn't always the guy that was producing for his team at IMG. Uh, it's a bizarre sentiment that NBA teams are like, yeah, we're willing to take a chance on upside. We're willing to take a chance on, uh, you know, all of this stuff and we're willing to take a chance on tools. I would bet that it works out a bit less than they would imagine to just take these chances on tools. And maybe Simons will work out too. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for sure. I've only seen him in person like four or five times, but like he's, he's a big question mark for me. And I think it's why I'm a little bit lower on him than many are. All right, uh, give me uh, uh, give me who your number one pick would be. Will you de- you definitely go Donch? Uh, yeah, you see me definitely go Aiton. I do. Uh, he's seven foot one, two hundred and sixty pounds, seven six wingspan, and you just think of the downside for DeAndre Aiton, right? Just give him what he showed this year. Super athletic on the perimeter, can move his feet. He's a perfect fit in today's NBA because of that. Uh, not the most intuitive defender around the basket, but I think that Arizona's defense put him in a lot of really, really tough scenarios because Alonzo Trier, not a great defender. Raleigh Alkins, good defender last year, but this year was coming back from the broken foot and was pretty slow. Dylan Smith, really bad perimeter defender. Parker Jackson Cartwright, slow defender, you know, try-hard defender, but small defender who can get beat off the dribble. So you look at how tough it was for him rotating over and having to, you know, somehow stop the just parade of guys that were coming toward the basket. I think he got put in a lot of hard situations defensively. And then you look at the offensive game, 20 points, 12 rebounds a night. Uh, Good passer, I think, for his size, can play in pick and roll, can play pick and pop, because I think the jump shot's going to come along. To me, it's just a full package of skills, uh, along with the athletic frame and the totally filled out body that make him like, so like, what is his worst? case scenario like to me his worst case scenario is andre drummond except can move his feet on the perimeter and he can like he can make and he can like make free and, andre and he can make like a borderline all-star yeah he can make and he can make free throws i i don't i don't think he's the shot blocker of andre drummond but i do think he's a better should be a better perimeter offensive player i i guess look my, I, I think my, he's better than drummond like i'm yes straight up i do well okay so i i guess here's my my issue is this uh, it's it's kind of like the running back in the NFL. Like I don't know how how, sure. how good you are, but it's a position to which is being made less important. You still need it, right? But uh, look, I I watched. Obviously, the Celtics played two bigs a bunch last night, uh, but the Cavs play without one. Uh, Houston plays with you know just a roll a big that can block shots, and they've played without a big a bunch in the series. And you know the the Warriors essentially play without a big guy, so. I, and and I do understand that, you know, it's like, hey, look, we're talking about Phoenix. They simply need to become competitive. Forget about winning an NBA championship. On the other hand, small ball is all the rage. Um, even with the quality big guys are in the league, the Carl Anthony Towns, the Joel Embiid's, the Christophs Przingis, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I guess the question is, do you need that position or are you better off taking a Bagley who doesn't appear to be as, you know, physically developed, a little bit younger, but he can he can play in any style of NBA game because of the versatility that he brings. Yeah, I think DeAndre and Marvin are the same position in the NBA now, to be honest. I think they're both centers. Now, Marvin's a little bit quicker twitch athletically, 
and maybe he would fit a little bit better once he figures out fundamentals defensively in terms of sliding his feet and playing on the perimeter. I think his upside there might be a little bit higher, but I mean, it's hard. Like to me, the pick is either if you're in that boat, and I think that's a totally fair assessment of the NBA now. Like I think that you could easily make the argument that the center position, it's harder to build around those type of guys. It's harder to have them on the floor at all the time. I totally get that, but it, to me, the case then is DeAndre Ayton against Luka Doncic because all the other guys, I mean, I think you're talking about Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, uh, you know, you know, Muhammad Bamba, Wendell Carter. Like, those guys are all centers to me, and maybe you can make a case for Michael Porter if you're super high on what you saw from Michael Porter in his prep career, but there are a lot of concerns there in terms of the back and, you know, all of the other stuff with Porter. So, I, to me, it's just a hard draft, and I think that I would go DeAndre over Luka Doncic. I think they're both going to be really great players, but I just think it's a weird draft from the perspective of the modern NBA because of uh, all of the shifting paradigms we see in the league. Yeah, I'm not as high on Porter as, as many people are, and it's not just the back. It's Some of it is you go back to the you know the global games uh, in but Portland a couple years ago. It just didn't feel like an alpha to me. Um, I don't know something, and and he has a little bit of the Trey Young thing to which his dad's an incredible. That's an incredible family, but there's almost mm-hmm. this is a weird way of saying it, almost too close knit. Where um, you know, both he and Trey they've kind of been sheltered from the real world and fitting in with teammates, and in the NBA, like that, that's kind of part of it, right? You you just. You have to kind of be one of the guys. You have to be a guy that, especially early on in your career, when people are going to say you're a franchise player and you're going to be taking a lot of shots, are veterans cool with it? they got to be cool with you as a dude. Uh, he doesn't have the social media bug the way that Trey has the social media bug that can irritate people. But there is some parts to his personality to which he's really quiet, really nice kid, really sheltered, and may not be an alpha. And I think... Uh, people think his skill set is that of an alpha, and I, I, I'm not sure the personality matches up. Is that fair? See, it's really interesting because I think that that was absolutely the perception coming into Missouri uh, with Michael Porter, and then you hear some of the stuff out of Missouri, and you know you hear that there was a pretty real sense of entitlement at Missouri for him, and I don't know what to think of any of this, just because. It's a one-year sample where he knows he's only going to be there for one year. He's got the back injury. You know, what is he going to do? But, but that's the same thing you, you hear know, on, at- on Trey is the, the entitlement thing is dudes don't like that. They just, they don't. Yeah. No, no matter how much the, our perception of the NBA is, it's about, you know, flossing and, and bling and, you know, and that being like a runway model when you walk from your car into the locker room and ESPN puts you you know, puts you on your pregame with what you're wearing. There's there's a difference between that and how you're perceived by your your coworkers. And I can just tell you that people that have coached both of them are like, yeah, we're not, it's not that terrible that they're gone. Or I didn't enjoy Trayvon Duval is another guy who I've heard, and this is yeah. you know that that really not that enjoyable an experience to coach, and uh, guys didn't have that enjoyable experience playing with. Yeah, no, and like in, you know, you bring up Trey. Trey is such a weird scenario because, like, then you have to consider the idea of, like, his talent was so much higher than everyone on Oklahoma's team. So Juan probably made the right call, kind of handing over the keys, but obviously it's a tough 
sell to the rest of your teammates who have been waiting their turn. I mean, Cam Augusti, I think, was a guy that I really liked coming into the year, and now he's at Miami. So uh, it's, a, it's a tricky sell, I think, in so many different ways and in so many different uh, things because you look at this, like Ben Simmons had the same question. Correct. Come out of LSU, right? Totally same exact stuff. He, he was entitled. He wasn't a great teammate, like all this stuff, and it's fine. And, and he gets along with all his teammates great now, apparently. Like he's right in that young culture that Philadelphia has built. It's no problem. So, like, how much does this stuff matter? I don't know. Like, I, I can't sit here and tell you. I know because kids grow. They go from being, you know, snotty. And I'm not saying this particularly about Trey and Michael right, necessarily. But they go from different, you know, snotty, entitled, you know, BS to uh, maturing. And by the time they're 23, 22, who knows what their personality is going to be like. You're so young at that age. That's a great point. Sam Vicente joining us. Um, okay. Let me ask you about the NBA playoffs. I I knew or I felt like I knew Jason Tatum would be the furthest along of the rookies, but I didn't know he would be this good this soon. And and look, some of it's helped by the fact that he's gotten so many minutes because Hayward's been out the entire season. You know, um, what's more surprising, how well he's played this early, or how consistent Jalen Brown has shot the ball pretty well, considering how poorly he shot the ball in college. Oh, wow. I would say Jalen becoming this good of a shooter this quickly is more surprising to me. Uh, I did not see that. Like, I was someone who I thought was, I thought Jalen was going to be a good NBA player. Like, a lot of people did not like him as an NBA prospect because they didn't think that the athleticism translated to the floor all that well. They thought he was, you know, kind of overrated throughout his high school career. You heard the weird stuff about the thoughtfulness. I, I like guys like that who, uh, try and challenge barriers and try and make themselves better. But you hear it about him. You hear it about guys like Mo Bamba as well. I think it's kind of crazy, but whatever. Um, I did not think the jump shot would be here, though, especially this quickly, because that jump shot was – he was shooting bowling balls in college, man. Like, that was – it was a mess, and it was not something he had to learn in high school either because he was just so much more athletic than everyone that it didn't matter. And – it kind of goes to show that work ethic is really just so incredibly vital, and I think that you can say the same thing about Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum got in the gym with Drew Hamlin basically the week after Duke's season ended and started to work on just slightly tweaking that jump shot a little bit to get more momentum, more force coming up from his lower half. And it shows now. This is the point of the season where it shows where he's now a consistent three-point shooter, and it's opened up the rest of his game. He can attack off the bounce in the way that he wants to. He can get into his mid-range spots. He can get to the rim now. It's, uh, you know, I think it goes to show that work ethic and uh, you know, thoughtful, smart working out can really go a long way to improving yourself as an NBA player. Um, I, and, then, and then we get to... Um... And then we get to maybe the most, I think, interesting part about this year's NBA playoffs and that here we have the Warriors and we have the Rockets. And I saw an article earlier today. I'm trying to think. who I think Kevin Arnovitz wrote it. It's about, it's about pace and how pace – seven more possessions per game over the last decade, I think, in the NBA and relating, kind of circling back to our, our NBA uh, draft discussion. How much has the change in the NBA affected – how you evaluate 
NBA players in terms of not just position, but in pace and skill set. Whereas a guy who uh, I'm trying to think who is the uh, Jill Okafor, right? 20 years ago, Jill Okafor is an all-star maybe in the NBA. Now, is he still in the league? I don't even know if he's still in the league. It's like one of those things, right? It's crazy yeah, on, like, how, on how we've evolved. A example of that right now is Yudoka Azubuki yeah. in Kansas, right? Like 10 years ago, Yudoka Azubuki would have been a 19-year-old that teams would have been falling over themselves to take. Seven-foot-tall, 7'7 seven, seven wingspan, in great shape, establishes position whenever he wants. I don't have that guy in like my top 90 prospects. I just don't see what he does in the NBA because he can't move his feet on the perimeter. And, you know, another example of that that I can give you from my board right now is, like, I looked through this yesterday. I have something – I have a bunch of bigs, like, in my top 10, top 11, top 12 or whatever. But from, like, the 12 spot down to number 50, I have, like, three or four big men. I I have, you know, Chemezi Metu, I have Mo Wagner, and I have Mitchell Robinson. And that's, like – basically it in terms of like true centers and Robert Williams might be in there too. He might be a little bit higher. I don't know where he is exactly, but like it's so important now to get wing rotation players and get perimeter defenders and to get guards who can knock down shots that you shouldn't take risks on like developing project bigs. Like what's, well, I, 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 think, I, don't know. I think the Robert Williams one is interesting because he's so crazy strong and athletic. Yeah. That you you do figure, and he does have a little bit of that Jordan Bell motor to him, to where you figure, all right, here's what we're going to do. Okay, when we first draft him, he's going to be our small ball five that can't shoot, and all we're going to tell him to do is roll to the rim and just run to rebound and play like a wild dog, and then hopefully we just he gets to where he has so many reps shooting the ball that kind of like Aaron Baines. Now you can go from yeah. being a non shooter to a shooter at some point in your career, just a catch and shoot guy. Now he'll have to have his, his, his shot completely reworked because it's broke. But I think the evaluation with bigs is more about, can you guard laterally? Can you switch yep. onto a guard even more? So no one cares if you can score in a low post anymore. Nope. Nope, I do. I do not care about your post game. To Isn't be that amazing? If you're an NBA big man, I just don't care. That's, that's, um, yeah. Like Robert Williams, the thing with Williams though is, in like comparing him to Jordan Bell, is that Jordan Bell like figured out that motor thing yep. by probably year two, maybe year three at Oregon, and he became for me. I thought he was the best defensive player in college basketball his senior or his junior year, his fourth year, I guess. Uh, he was just unbelievable guarding laterally. He was a great shot blocker. The thing with Robert Williams is that he'll even tell you himself that his motor doesn't run hot, like all the time. And I like the self-awareness. I like the fact that he's willing to figure that out for himself, but he needs to figure it out. Like that, that's the key. Well, Jordan, listen, to listen. understand that in the NBA, his role is literally going to be play hard and yeah. grab rebound yeah. and guard on the perimeter. He has the tools to do it. Like no question. Nobody, nobody even thinks about Robert Williams as a guy who doesn't have the tools to play in the NBA now. It's just, is he going to do it? Is he going to play hard? Is he going to do all of the right things? It's, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Sam, great stuff. Uh, incredible insight. Uh, how can somebody download your podcast from The Athletic? Uh, yeah, go to iTunes and search Game Theory Podcast. Uh, I'm sure you'll find it there. And, you know, we're up on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, wherever you use podcasting apps. I'm sure that you'll find it there. Go follow The Athletic as well. 
Uh, a lot of really great folks doing a lot of really great work over there. What do you think happens, Warriors, Rockets? I'm still going the Warriors. I said Warriors in six before the series started. I thought the Rockets would take a couple games. They're really good. Uh, I would still probably say Warriors in six. I think they win tonight, and I don't think that the Rockets steal two games in Oracle. Um, LeBron James, I, I tend to think he was one of two things. He wasn't feeling great because there were, now I don't know if you saw there were two, uh, there were two pieces of tape on his water bottle. That's a classic sign of somebody who ain't feeling good. Don't drink out of his water bottle. Or maybe it's just LeBron James water mm-hmm. bottle. Don't drink out of my water bottle. Uh, I'm not sure if he's feeling great. I also think that on some level, there's some conservation there waiting to a game seven to where he can unload the tank. Uh, but man, Boston at home is something something completely different, and I do love something I mentioned earlier was uh, Semi Ojale not playing uh, eliminated that mismatch that the Cavs had with Kyle Korver being able to be brought in the game, you know, because Ojale couldn't guard him and he could he could be on the floor with Ojale. Uh, does does that in fact go seven? I hated the fact that Ty Lue said that last night. I was, like Kyle Korver has been their third best player in this series. You can't sit your third best player because Shimmy Ojale is not on the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of bananas to me. Um, in terms of that series, I think that it's going to be really tough for Cleveland to steal a game in Boston because I think that part of what makes Boston so good at home is that they're always going to bring the defensive energy, but I think it gets ramped up whenever they get that garden energy behind them. Like J.J. Reddick said on Bill Simmons' podcast yesterday that like his mom told him that you know she's been to a lot of games, obviously, following J.J.'s career now, but like she's never heard an arena as loud as what that Boston arena was. And I think they feed off of that energy, and it helps them offensively, too, because they get more live ball turnovers. They get more long rebounds off of those missed three-point shots. And what Boston's trying to do in this series a lot of the time is get early offense to run, to get out in transition, maybe score at least within eight seconds of the shot clock going. And, you know, it helps them on both ends when they have that energy. I think it's a really, really tough matchup for Cleveland now. Okay, so does it go seven? Yeah, I'll say it goes seven, and I'll say Boston wins, I think. Wow, it'd be amazing. would be really interesting to do it without your, your two best players. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, people are like, well, Rozier, they don't need Kyrie. Rozier's like, Rozier hasn't been good this series. He just hasn't, for the no. most part. And yet, they're here they are still up three games to two. But Kyrie is needed, Gordon Hayward is needed, and, man, will they have a great team for the future, regardless of what happens happens here. Sam, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us. Love your own work, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Love you too, Doug. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for All Ball, the all-basketball podcast here on the Herd Podcast Radio Network. So glad you listened to us. Don't be afraid to download, to subscribe, and to rate. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.